Chapter 32 Living, Breathing Weapon Beth tapped her nails on the rental car steering wheel as she made her way out of town. Her heart rate was low and her breathing steady. She'd made the decision to put Serena Green down in a split second. But now as she drove through the desert with no particular destination, she unpacked her decision bit by bit with each passing mile. She had never been someone who'd killed in the heat of passion. However, over the last week and a half, she'd changed and didn't know why. It was a curiosity to her. She'd been taught not to evaluate her actions based on right or wrong, but by their effectiveness in achieving an end goal. She was now curious what her end goal actually was. She'd had little therapy as a child, but only enough to realize that there was always an end goal, whether you consciously understood it or not. When a fat guy stands in front of the refrigerator, his goal is to stay fat. People may not be aware of it, but actions never lie. Recently, she had charged headlong into an unknown situation with Gomes's watchers and put a bullet into a work associate, an associate that had saved her life. Some would call her actions sloppy, others impulsive. However, none of that mattered to Beth. She was taught to trust her intuition and it had never let her down once. What she was missing was a rational understanding of why she did what she did. She didn't have the answers yet. However, she was on a long road with plenty of time. After a hundred miles on the odometer, ideas began to form and take shape. She hated to admit it, but Jack Glasser was the spark that possibly had lit the fire. It wasn't a conscious thought, just a knot in the pit of her stomach that formed when she had gotten the order to kill him and Luke. She could have put Luke down with little or no internal conflict. However, Jack had become a different story. Her moment of clarity had come after reading his diary. He'd seen through her, yet still loved her. He somehow knew she was damaged, yet still wanted to be with her. His feelings had been strong enough it had taken nearly a year of suffering through her concocted, bitchy facade before he was ready to finally throw in the towel. As she drove, she wondered what Jack would have thought of the real Beth. She barely remembered her name anyway. Amina was the name she was born with, at least what she remembered. She had fleeting glimpses of her mother stroking her hair and saying her name. However, most of those memories were replaced by the horror of ethnic cleansing and the death of her family at the Srebrenica massacre. She was a young, blonde Bosnian girl who survived. She survived while the paramilitary group of Serbian scorpions killed her father and brother and raped her mother to death and would have killed her had it not been for NATO forces recapturing the town. One of the first people she had seen was Draper, the man who ultimately found her in the rubble of her home. When he asked the few remaining souls who Beth was, the only thing he heard was Bezrojleja, Croatian for parentless. 
She didn't speak, and Draper thought that was her real name. He and his wife subsequently adopted her, and Bez transformed into Beth. Draper's wife, Sandra, had been an angel on earth. He took Beth to therapy and taught her to be independent, conquering fear. However, when Sandra succumbed to breast cancer after two years, both Draper and Beth were devastated. Draper was truly broken. It was after Sandra's death that Draper began dismissing the voices of his better angels, taking a small idea and growing it into what was now the organization. Beth was equally devastated and understood what her adopted father was becoming. Without Sandra to serve as an anchor for both of them, the evils of her past came back to haunt Beth nightly. She worked on Draper relentlessly to become a part of whatever was consuming him. Six months later, Draper relented and brought her into his world in what would be the organization. Within 12 months, she began training in private with ex-Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, anyone Draper could find, for the one day she'd need to defend herself, to do what Draper needed to have done, and hopefully exact her punishment on the men who had taken her family. Within five years, she was a trained machine, a force to be reckoned with. She learned to use the horrors of her childhood as the crucible for forging herself into a living, breathing weapon no one ever saw coming. But in the end, she never saw Jack Glasser coming. Someone who was just as damaged and managed to sneak through the tripwire of her emotional defenses. She knew when she pulled the trigger and sent death spiraling towards Serena at 1,200 feet per second, there were two distinct reasons. Jealousy and the desire to protect Jack. Quan left Colonel Rhodes' office, and Rhodes' voice echoed down the hall as he barked orders to his men in Las Vegas. There was nothing he could do, and was doubtful anything could be done for Serena Green either. For Quan, the pressure of the day had built up to an unsafe level. His breathing was shallow, and a cold sweat erupted around his neck. His face began to go numb. He knew himself well enough to know he was ten minutes from a seizure, possibly a grand mal, something he continually monitored himself for in an effort to avoid it. He needed ten minutes at least to calm himself down and decompress. Jack and Eamon were busy in the lab and making progress. They wouldn't miss him. Ten minutes at his desk, absorbed in work, would do the trick. He made his way back to the main work area, still absently clutching his stack of Gomes' notes as he went back to his workstation to see if a match had been found for Draper's photo. Eamon sat down beside him a few minutes later. You good? Eamon asked. Eamon's expression clearly acknowledging Quan was pre-episodic. Yeah, for, for now, Quan said. Eamon knew better than to discuss Quan's condition while he was teetering on the edge of a spaz attack, as Luke would call it. He changed the subject in an effort to help Quan take his mind off things. Looks like Jack has what he needs. Hopefully we'll be in time, Eamon said. Has he been talking to Luke? Quan asked. 
Yeah, he's trying to, but Luke's out. Semi-dream state. Nothing's really getting in. I don't know. Maybe we'll finally find out what happens after death, Eamon muttered. Quan immediately shot Eamon a harsh look, but didn't say a word. Fuck, I didn't mean it like that, Eamon said apologetically. You know what I'm saying. This is just so screwed up. I just figured with everything that happened to those two, neither one of them, especially Luke, would go out like this, Eamon said. He's not out yet, Quan replied. I know. You know what I mean, Eamon replied. Quan nodded absently, staring down at his workstation and monitoring the progress of matching Draper's photo to take his mind off of everything. He hadn't hit a match yet, and they were already through three million files, approximately 14 years' worth of active-duty personnel. They'd assume that they would find him if he was there, within the most recent records that included active duty, inactive, and reservist over the past 25 years. If he wasn't in those files, they would be at a standstill. Nothing yet? Eamon asked, looking at Quan's monitor. No, we're downloading and processing fast another hour or so, and we should know, Quan said. Eamon nodded and watched Quan. Quan's jaw was flexing and he was shaking his head slightly. He was either pissed or had something on his mind he just couldn't compute. You want to talk about it? Eamon asked. Quan said nothing for 30 seconds, then abruptly pushed his chair out facing Eamon, unable to contain the news of Serena Green and what he had seen at the Glasser house. I think she's dead. I got an alert. I, I think she's dead. Quan blurted. Who? Eamon asked. Serena Green, the woman from Greenleaf. The one Jack and Luke said is working undercover for Rhodes, Quan said. Wait, what kind of alert are you talking about? How do you know? Eamon asked, confused. Gunshot alert. I got one from inside their house. I, I logged onto the video feed and I saw her. Oh God, there was Blood everywhere. Quan started rocking back and forth in his seat. Eamon was in full containment mode now, trying to figure out a way to keep Quan from seizing. At the same time, he felt the same horror about Serena Green expand in his chest. He quickly ran to his desk and jammed his hand into his computer bag, pulling a cannabis-laced gummy from a stash he had brought for Jack as a backup. Here. Chew on this, Eamon ordered, as he split the gummy in half and took half of it for himself. But I don't do, Quan tried, but Eamon interrupted. Stop it. Just chew the fucking thing. I know you don't want to seize here. Just do it, Eamon said. For once, Quan took Eamon's advice and popped the gummy into his mouth. Within 15 minutes, he had stopped rocking. Within 30 minutes, his hands were sweat-free and he was out of the danger zone. He and Eamon took a seat on the couch next to Bosco. It took a few moments to calm down. Jack was a man possessed, his hands moving quickly, wasting no time with notes, mentally recording everything. The million-dollar question that Luke's life depended on had no clear answer. He'd found Gomes's recipe, which included the plant viruses, 
and he had been able to identify those in Luke's blood. However, there was no trace of hepatitis or influenza present in Gomes' notes. A million thoughts spiraled through his head. The dead man either had those ailments prior, or Gomes' handiwork may have been tainted, or somehow the plant viruses made him more susceptible to contracting the others. He couldn't be sure if Luke hadn't contracted the whole disease enchilada from the dead man. More importantly, would Luke become infected with the other illnesses too? Hep C and bird flu might very well be present in Luke, but just not presenting itself yet. Jack decided to focus on the plant viruses first, deciding the simplest answer was the best. Luke was in a weakened condition. Throwing anything and all shit at the wall might just kill him quicker than the viruses. The plant viruses had to be the root cause of Luke's illness, and most likely what killed the man in the field. Luke's liver and pancreas were showing the same signs of inflammation, presenting itself as the same type of infection. An ultrasound confirmed it. However, the broad-spectrum antibiotics weren't working. Re-engineering Gomes' plant virus was the only viable path now. Within two hours, he had completed his work and injected a new modified vaccine into Luke. The only thing now he could do was wait, and time was the enemy.